Well, we're in part four of our series called, and you have to always pause, the rest of the story. And only Paul Harvey people know why you have to pause. Because he would always say, he would always tell that little story on the radio, and it'd be a cute little story, and he'd say, but now for the rest of the story. And it would always be right after a commercial break. Because you'd have to go to the commercial, come back from the commercial, and then you'd hear something out of nowhere about that person. Maybe you thought you knew the story of that person, but then you heard something about them that you'd never heard before, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. And that was sort of his claim to fame, the rest of the story. And, of course, some of you were reminded of, of, of Paul Harvey by our keyboard player, Anthony, the night he was preaching in Ambassadors, and he said something along the lines, but I really don't know who Paul R Harvey is because I'm not old. That's what he said about people like me and you. Still love you, son. Still love you. Thank you. I received that. I, he just said I ain't old. Where's my wife? You, you, did you hear that? I'm not old. I'm a young man. You still got a young man. Somebody say something. Let's make a declaration right now. I am called for this moment. I'm telling you right now, you need to remember that as we get into this story today. Part four, we're talking about different characters. And you see today we're highlighting a character that many of you know the story. Maybe you don't know the rest of the story. Maybe you don't know the story at all. And that's the story of a man named Gideon. Gideon's one of my favorite characters in Scripture because of, of what comes in his life and what it teaches us. You know, you may be like many people, like myself uh, included. You may think it's shocking to think that I think this of myself because of what I do in my life, but it is the truth. I have spent most of my life feeling completely unqualified for what has been laid before me and the assignment that has been given me to do. I, ha I am on paper and I am in the real world completely unqualified to do what I'm doing. I barely graduated high school. In fact, some people love to brag on that they graduated to the top of their class. They like to say, you know, whether they were valedictorian, salutatorian, or, or maybe in the top certain percentile of their, of their class, you never hear anybody brag on the fact that they were second from the last in their class. And that's what I was. Only one other guy, and I love you if you're watching. He knows who he is. Only one other guy had a lower grade point than me, and that was because basically the teacher just passed him just to get him out. I love him. That's basically what they did for me too. I had missed so many days and skipped school so much. I was always kind of, I don't want to go back into that. Who, I mean, I, we don't want to raise up all kinds of stories like that. But, but thank God that uh, teenagers do not become like your former pastor was in high school. Okay, I'm sorry. I shouldn't even say things like this because parents will be like, shut up. They basically let me come in for a month and a half during study hall time and sit, just sit in a classroom. And they gave me time served, if you want to call it that. And they, they made up the difference and let me graduate. So I was second from the bottom of my class. I've never been to a college class. I've never been to a seminary. I've never been trained to be a preacher. So I'm completely unqualified. Some people thought until this moment that I had been to some kind of seminary, had some kind of biblical studies degree or whatever, and now you're going to think, well, I can't go to a church that's pastored by somebody that's never been going to Bible college. Well, it is what it is. And In fact, I don't mean, I don't mean this to be uh, uh, demeaning. But most of the Bible college pastors that I know are not in the ministry anymore. And 27 years later, I'm still pastoring the same church. <laughs> Nothing against Bible college, but a lot of those cemeteries, uh, I mean seminaries, uh, are... Uh, <laughs> Moses! You ever heard of Moses? Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage. He, listen, Moses wrote Genesis. Moses was trusted by God to be the only man to be able to hear line upon line details of the creation of the universe. 
But when he was called from the burning bush, he just said to God, no. He told God no. Why did he tell God no? He told God no because he considered himself completely unqualified. Gideon is a great story of the difference between what God sees in us and what we see in us. You know, I wrote a book called I See Greatness in You. And that was not God saying that. That was my wife that said that. Spoiler alert if you hadn't read the book. But the reality is this. Sometimes and a lot of times other people, not just God, but others can see things in you, greatness in you, potential in you, talent and anointing in you that you will not allow yourself to see. Judges chapter 6 is where we find the story of Gideon. Judges chapter 6, we'll pick up with verse 11. It says, now the angel of the Lord, now you got to get that. The angel of the Lord came and sat up under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah. I mean, Ophrah. You get the Holy Ghost, and you get the Holy Ghost, and you get the Holy Ghost, and you get the Holy Ghost. You all get the Holy Ghost. Some of you will get that, some of you won't get it. which belonged to Joash the Abrazite. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress. That's key right there. In order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with you. Watch what he called him. You mighty man of valor. What's the response of Gideon? Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? I got to stop right here. Take it off the screen. I got to stop this off right here. I got to stop, and I got to tell you something right now. When I was looking back over my notes this week and I got to that, I put in parentheses in the scripture there to remind me of what, what I was thinking. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? I wrote, does that sound familiar? I'm telling you right now, we have a church now that is questioning the goodness of God because he has allowed all this stuff to happen to us. Let me tell you something. He ain't allowed nothing to happen to us. A lot of the things that's happened to us is because we've brought it on us. There's a principle called sowing and reaping. When you reap to the Spirit, you shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. When you reap to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. When you have a nation and a world who's turned their back on God, they're sowing to their flesh. What do you think you're going to get? You're going to get sickness. You're going to get pandemics. You're going to get wars. You're going to get fighting. You're going to get murder. But when you sow to the Spirit of God, I told y'all I'm 53. I don't care. If the Lord is with us, then why is he let COVID-19 happened. If the Lord is with us, then why did I lose my friend off that Facebook post? Because you know why you lost your friend off that Facebook post? Because you were stupid enough to put it on Facebook. I'm not talking about your, your comment was stupid. Do you realize it wasn't long ago that we had friends that we were friends with our whole life. We still went out to eat with them. We went fishing with them. And sometimes we went on vacation with them that we didn't agree politically with. Well, I ain't going fishing with somebody that didn't vote like me. Well, what you going to do when you get to heaven and you find out in heaven there's Republicans and Democrats? What you going to do when you get to heaven? You're going to find out there's independence. Huh? What you going to do when you get to heaven? When you find out there's Baptists up there and Presbyterian and Episcopalian. Huh? Pentecostal. One God, two gods, so help me God. Only Pentecostals get that. 
Then he goes on to say, oh, why'd y'all get so quiet on me? It's, it's amazing. Y'all will shout me down until I make one little statement about us not being stupid politically and everybody gets quiet. Why? You know why? Because you're too scared. You're scared. Do I clap? Because if I clap, what are they going to think of me? If, if I shout, what are, what are they going to think my motivation for that shout was? I wrote an article on that. You can find it at www.pfft.com. Stop worrying. You are at the house of God. When the man of God says something that you know is biblical, you ought to shout amen. And where, if he's with us, and where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Do you hear? This is Gideon saying this. We all know, if, we, if you know the story of Gideon, I don't want to say we all know because we don't all know, but if you know the story of Gideon, you know he ends up doing some great mighty things, but look how he starts. Okay, I heard you just call me a man of valor before we even deal with that. Let me deal with you, God. If you really are with us, take that off the screen. If you really are with us, then... Why did you let all this happen to us? And where are the miracles our fathers told us about? I'm going to tell you something. we got a generation of young people right now that's sick and tired of your stories about what happened to you back in the 70s and 80s when God moved on your life. They appreciate your heritage, but we got to, I'm talking about, I call myself part of that generation too. I'm tired of reading stories about what used to happen in the tent revivals when legs grew and eyeballs popped into sockets. I'm tired of telling those stories over and over again. I'm ready to live those stories. I'm ready to see the lame walk in this house. I'm ready to see the blinded eyes open in my house. Come on, y'all hear me. I'm ready to see revival sweep across this land. I'm ready for the next generation to talk about what happened in this generation generation he goes on and says some other things about Egypt and all this watch what he says verse 15 oh let me back up verse 14 verse 14 then the Lord said to him didn't even acknowledge that declaration that he just said about doubting God. If God was really with us, where are the miracles? He says, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Don't you know Isaiah said, do not consider the things of old. For behold, I do a new thing. And he goes, shall you not see it? In other words, I could be working in your life, moving mountains in your life, and you not even see it. I'm telling you right now, God could be making rivers in the, in the desert and a way in the wilderness, and you're still crying out for a river in the desert and a way in the wilderness. God wants you to open your eyes and see what he's already doing. Oh, my God, I, I had a church that would help me pray. I'm talking about God is moving in this nation. God is moving in the church. Don't you buy into the lie the church is dead. Don't you buy into the lie the church is irrelevant. God is moving. Oh my Lord, this is response again. How can I save Israel? My clan, my family, my group is the weakest in all of Manasseh. Manasseh was already one of the weakest of the 12 tribes and he just said, we're the weakest of the weakest. How many knows God will call you to greatness and call you out of the most least likely environment that greatness could ever be called out of? I'm talking about you not just born on the wrong side of the tracks. You was five railroad tracks back 
where there ain't even a paved road to get to you, but God knows where you're at. He knows exactly what, who your mama was. He knew who your daddy was. He knew he was an alcoholic. He knew she was a, she went around and clubbed all the time. She, he knew she'd come on at 2 o'clock in the morning, didn't want to have nothing to do with you, shooting up drugs, sniffing up cocaine all the way around you. Ain't got nothing. Ain't got no money. Ain't got no car. Ain't can't even afford no clothes. Struggled all your life. You thinking, how in the world could I be used by God? Let me tell you something. God will go to the weakest and find the weakest in the weakest family and say, you, my son, you, my daughter, are a man or a woman of valor. You have been called to lead this family out. See, sometimes... Y'all don't, y'all don't want me to say it, but I'm going to say it. Sometimes you got to go through hell and live in hell to be able to know how to lead others out of hell. Sometimes, I'm not telling you God did it, but sometimes you'll have to walk through it's the most difficult situations ever, generational dis- difficulties, to be that one that stands up and says like Moses when, when Pharaoh said, you can go, but leave your wives and your children with it. you got to be like Moses. You're going to be that, that Moses that stands up and says, no, 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 no. I'm coming out, but I'm taking my mama with me. I'm taking my grandma with me. I'm taking my daddy with me. I'm taking my kids. I'm taking my grandkids. All of us that's been through hell's coming out with me. You might as well shout, yeah! Trying to finish my introduction. I'm not kidding. This is the introduction. I am the least. I'm the weakest of the weakest in my extended family called the tribe of Manasseh. Then he goes on and says, and I am the least important in all of my father's house. You can't get a more negative opinion of yourself than Gideon. Gideon said, I'm from the worst tribe, and my group in the worst tribe is the worst of the worst tribe, and that makes my daddy pretty bad. And and all my daddy's kids... I'm the least important of all of them. My daddy don't even know who I am. And the Lord said, you through? Right after he says, I'm the least of my father's house, verse 16. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. And you will, watch this, defeat the Midianites as one man. Not by yourself, but the ones that are with you are going to have your heart. It's going to be a group of people, but it's going to be like it's one man. Because they're all going to shout the same. They're all going to be on the same page. How many of us we spend too much time trying to get other people on the same page with us and miss the ones that are standing right next to us trying to already on the same page with us? I was abused by my father. I was beaten. I was put in a sling by an injury from my father. Had my father put a double barrel 12-gauge shotgun in his mouth when I was 10 years old, loaded in front of me, pulled back both levers, and sticked my finger, my trembling 10-year-old finger on the, on the trigger with the, with the barrels in his mouth, screaming, pull the trigger and kill me. Because if you go home, if you leave with your mama tonight, then I'm going to blow my own brains out and you have to live the rest of your life knowing you killed your father. So you might as well have the, the, the decency of pulling the trigger now. That's the scars that I live with. Dropped me, broke me, multiple things beyond that. I had an identity of a loser. I was told I was a loser by people that I love. I was told by people in my family that I was destined. This was the words back then that they used, that I was destined to be a slob. I was destined to be a bum. I was dropped. I was broken. If you looked up the statistic, the typical statistic of someone that was going to end up in prison or murdered somebody or being murdered and shot and killed, I know you can't imagine that about me now, but that was me. 
As I said, I barely graduated high school, no college, no formal training of any time, of anything. I had no idea what a father meant. I had no idea what a father looked like. God gave me two beautiful daughters. I had to learn on the job what it meant to be a father. And I made many, many, many mistakes. I failed many times. And I'd fall on my face before God and I'd say, God, like Gideon. I'd say, God, you've called me to pastor. You've called me to do all this. Why can't you just give me somebody to just show me what it means to be a father? I have no clue. God said, not only will you be a good father to your two daughters, but you will be a father to many sons and daughters. 1989, May of 1989, I married a smoking hot blonde. Both of us had no intentions. We'd been raised in church. We'd even declared with our mouths, both of us, in our engagement. Well, I know one thing. I don't know where God's got us, where God's going to take us, because we was determined we was going to serve God. I don't know where God's taking us. This is what both of us said. But I know one thing we're not going to do. We're not going to be a ministry. Because we had been raised and saw what ministry had done to people. We declared it. Let me tell you something. You better watch what you say to God. May of 1989, we got married with a full declaration. I was going to work and have a job. She was going to work and have a job. We was going to have a family. We was going to live the American dream. In August of that same year, from May to August of 1989, God began to give me dreams. Actually, it started right after we got married. But in, but in, but in August of 1989, after many dreams of waking up in cold sweats and, and God showing me things about me ministering, I talked to Sandy about it. We prayed about it. And I said, God, I I don't have a clue what I'm doing, but here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I'll do what you call me to do. I began to be a youth pastor. I, so only, only the months of May, June, and July are the only months of my entire marriage since 1989 that we've not been in the ministry. And I'm going to tell you something. We had no friends in the ministry. We had no uh, people to show us the way. We had nobody sponsoring us. We had nobody giving us money. God just said, launch out. We had 10 people. 1994, October of 1994, with 10 people, we started something called Solid Rock Church. Are y'all hearing me? 1994. Here we are in 2021. Woo! We went through the little white building in Trafford, Alabama, with the whole church about as big as that section of pews there. God moved. Then God moved us to an old hay barn up in Blunt County. And we worked and worked and worked and converted a dirt floor, no walls, creosote poles, and a leaking tin roof into a church building. We had church there for seven and a half years. And then God stirred us again and said, we're going to go save the old rock school that's been abandoned. Built in 1921, falling apart and condemned. Zero value on the buildings. They wanted to tear it down, but God said no. God rose up and they saved the buildings. The city had no idea they were saving the buildings for us. Oh, we bought that building after unbelievable miracle after miracle after miracle. And in 14 months, six days a week, the volunteers of this house with no formal training, no, uh, no architectural drawings, just a heart and a vision, we restore the old rock school. Come on. Most of my friends thought I was crazy. My own pastor. My own spiritual father told the story later that when I showed him the building, it was in such bad condition that when he left the building, he began to pray and ask God, God, give me the words to tell my son to run. Give me the words to tell my son that he's making the worst mistake of his life. It's going to ruin the ministry. It's going to, his church will never survive. He cannot over, undertake this. He doesn't have the training. He doesn't have the money. He doesn't have the people. And he said by the time he turned on Highway 75, 
about to leave Pinson, God spoke to him in an audible voice and he said, my son, do you not remember when you used to pray for God to raise up a Holy Ghost church in Pinson, Alabama because there wasn't one there that was seeing miracles. Do you not remember almost 20 years ago you wanted to plant a church in Pinson and you said, God, if I'm not supposed to plant it, raise up a pastor to have a Holy Ghost church in the city of Pinson. Son, don't you go back and tell him to stop because I'm the one that told him to walk in that building. I see things in that building that he can see, but many things that he can't see. Let me tell you something, church. We had less than 100 people in our church at that time, of which 60% or better of our church was 20 years old or younger. I'm talking about of that 60% of our church that was 20 years old and younger, probably 60% of, of that 60% were teenagers and children. But let me tell you something about teenagers and children. They ain't got no money. They ain't got no money. Let me tell you something about 20-somethings. If they got any money, they ain't got much money. Huh? We went to a bank in that situation. 60% of our church, 20 years old or younger, of which over half of those were kids. Babies, kids, children, and teenagers. They said, well, how much do you want to borrow? We said $860,000. That's what they did, just what you just did. They laughed at us. We went through 11 banks. 11 banks telling us, you've lost your mind. But we, listen, you got to get to the place where you know you got a word from God. We kept going. And when I thought about, back thought, thinking about it, I didn't think about it at the time, but I had time to think about it. I thought, how, how ironic that it took the 12th bank. I thought about the 12 tribes of Israel. I thought about the 12 apostles. I just thought about 12 being important. That 12th guy was a young guy that somebody had told me about. He met me. i tell you where he met me. Y'all ever seen China Luck? Then there in Pinson, that little China Luck restaurant over there. He met me at China Luck. I'm sitting there in China Luck across from the rock school. I want, listen, God's awesome, but you know, God gives me some ideas. That was back before they had the windows blind shut down. The windows were open. I want him to sit in China Luck and hear my heart and be able to look over his shoulder and see the building. There was the building sitting right through the windows of China Luck. It was directly across them. I start sharing my heart. Let me tell you something. I saw God will honor your faithfulness. Somewhere about two-thirds through that, this guy probably was about 26, 27 years old, straight out of college. 12th bank. He said, let me stop you. He said, I feel like the Lord is in this. This is the banker. And I said, okay, praise the Lord. He goes, now, Pastor Raglan, I can't make you no promises, but I can tell you this. I'm going to do the best I can. So, you don't know the rest of the story? Buy my book. It worked out, but it worked out in a way that was unbelievable. And I'm going to tell you, when we finally got in that building almost two, right at two years later, and we got the financing for that building, on the day we dedicated that building, that young 20-something banker stood on the platform of our church. We presented him with a plaque, and he cried like a baby. He said, I've never been a part of anything like this in my life. If there was ever something that I knew was of God, I know this was of God, and I'm thankful that I was a part of it. And he was bawling his eyes out standing on the platform of the rock school. When you got a word on something, it don't matter what you think about yourself. It don't matter what somebody else said. It don't matter what your education level is. When we had to, when we had to get this, this unbelievable, you think $860,000 was a lot. This thing, when it was the original asking price was $3 million. Huh? We ended up buying this thing for $1.5 million. You didn't know you were sitting in a multi-million dollar facility, did you? We bought this for $1.5 million. Now, thank God we don't owe $1.5 million anymore, but we still owe a lot. But I had been given to the, the keys to this place from the bank to walk around here and pray. I was by myself. I was sitting right up there in that balcony by myself, praying. Had the lights on, there wasn't a soul in this whole entire facility. 
over 100,000 square feet of facility sitting on 18 and a half acres. Somebody ought to give God the praise right now. At that point, we was running around running about 200 people. I'm sitting right up there. I had submitted all the paperwork. I had done everything we knew to do. We just waiting. Didn't look good. I'm sitting right up there. The man calls me. Says, Pastor Ragnar, I don't have time. I'm just going to tell you, the man from the bank, my friend, who'd been there for me through, it, through thick and thin, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find you a good suit and a good tie. He said, I need you to get up and drive down to the bank to the Regents Tower. He said, I want you to go all the way up. It was like one of the top floors. He said, if you got, listen to what he said, if you have a lawyer or an accountant, bring him with you. Well, I don't have a lawyer and I don't have an accountant. Five buildings, no financial advisor, no legal advice, nobody typing up anything for us whatsoever. Everything, God. Everything. Everything. Never hired a consultant one in all five buildings to help us do anything. It was all prayer. What do you want us to do, God? Called my wife. I said, I don't have time to explain it. He just said, you know, meet him at the bank. I walked in the bank. I sit down. They brought in. I don't mind saying this because I want to give God the praise and appreciate this bank. This is not anything negative against this bank because they financed the Regions Bank. And they brought in Regions in-house financial accountant, top-notch the leader of all the accountants, to ask me some questions about us. When I walked in the room, they're asking me, does anyone with you? And I was like, nope, just me. I sat down, they shut that door. I had printed out everything that we kept, because we keep good records here. I had printed out everything we had. I laid it down in front of them. And I'm telling you, for the next 30 to 45 minutes, that man began to ask me questions that I, with words I'd never heard in my life. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You need to hear me. I'm not trying to hype you and make this up. I know you wasn't there. I nobody else was there except for me and two other guys. So, you know, you just got to believe me what I'm telling you because this is fact. But I will tell you this. My banker friend, who's one of my close friends, he'll tell you this because he was in the room. I sit there, and it was like, remember when Jesus said, don't, don't worry about what you're going to say for the Holy Ghost to speak through you? I'm talking about I sit there. He'd say, well, what about this, this, and this? And I'd go, but what do we Yep, yep, right. This number right here reflects this. Is this what you're talking about? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm talking about every single thing he asked me. I had an answer and I had it on paper and I could show them that we were that we were meticulous in what we were doing. He looked at me like, Thank you for coming. He said, Thank you for coming. He had this look on his face like, I need it. Because I found out later that he had already decided to tell us no. But my friend had talked to me, and he said, this is what he said, you just got to meet this guy, and you just got to hear the heart of this church. That's what this banker said. And he said, he, that's what he told me on the phone. He goes, listen, man, this is it. You got to come down here, and you got to let them know what Solid Rock is about. So when I walked out, already going to tell me no, he looked at the banker and said, well, I didn't expect that. And then my banker friend said, one more thing before you make a decision. Let's take a ride. He, take, he gets him in the car and he drives him from downtown Birmingham to Pinson, Alabama. And we're trying to get this building. He shows him the rock school. I didn't even know he was doing this. He pulls up in the parking lot of the rock school. And here's a man who had never been to a single solid rock church service, sat in the parking lot of the rock school and told our history and told what this church did with God. And he looked at that decision maker and he said, let me just tell you, go on the record. you got to decide what you want to decide. But I believe that if, they, if this church says they believe God will be able to, that they'll be able to buy and keep this building, I know from experience, I believe God has told them that. And the man changed his mind. Praise God. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise right now. i got 12 minutes. you got to learn how to find an anchor. You got to learn it. Somebody said, Well, you going to finish this story? Yeah. Scrolling down. He called himself weak. God called him strong. See, what Gideon needed was God's perspective. You need God's perspective. 
See, God saw more in Gideon than Gideon saw in himself. Gideon hid. Watch this. Why was Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press? A wine press is made for grapes. The wine, the, the threshing floor is a place where you, it would be a, just a big large stone where they would take the, the, the wheat and just, that's what it's called threshing. They would just thresh it up against that stone and the little pieces of wheat would fall aside and they would get that apart and grind it up and make flour, make bread. Why were they doing that? Because the wine press was at a different place that it was, it was hidden. It was usually in a place that was covered. They were, he was not only thinking uh, less of himself. He was in fear because they were tormented by the Midianites. So they couldn't stand out in the open. If you go, like when I went to... Um, to Nepal on the mission trip. We drove through that area and it was so amazing to see fields of wheat everywhere and spread out throughout the fields of wheat in the field were threshing floors. And they would they would bind these bales of, of, of wheat up and while we're driving through, we could witness it. We could watch biblical times. They're out in the middle threshing it in out in the fields so that they don't have to carry all of it back. They carry the wheat back. Come on, y'all hearing me? So you're open. So he was hiding. Not only uh, it has a, le- a lack of self-worth, he was, he was in fear. Having to use something that was supposed to be for representing blessings and favor, which is wine, and, and, and had to uh, use the threshing, which is sim- simplistic, I mean, uh, symbolic of, of dealing with sin. Prayer. Putting the, put him in a place that it shouldn't be at. So many times our image of ourselves is shaped in the midst of fear. We run from the call of God in our lives. We run from the very words that God has spoken of us. Because why? We're afraid of failure. But you know what else we're afraid of? We're afraid of success. We're afraid that if we actually do what God said he's called us to do, then that means we're going to have to change our life. That means we're not going to get to go the places that we used to go, do the things we used to do, hang out with the people we used to hang out with. So therefore, we run from the call of God in our life because we don't want to accept the lifestyle change that's going to come with it. Judges chapter 7, I'm hurrying. And the Lord said to Gideon, it's time for the battle. He gathers this battle, 32,000 people ready to go to battle. And the Lord said to Gideon, before you go, i got something to tell you. The people who are with you are too many for me. Put that scripture up there. Judges 7, 2. Watch this. I want you to see that because I didn't just make that up myself. The people who are with you are too many for me. You probably never heard that part of the story because you think it's too many for him. They're not too many people for Gideon. In fact, forgetting it wasn't enough people. Because the Midianites, the Bible said, had over 100,000 soldiers. So it made no sense what God was saying once again to Gideon. The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me saying, my own hands has saved me. How many know sometimes God puts you in a place of isolation so he's the only one that can get the glory? Sometimes you need to hear, I'm sorry, we've done all we can do. I know we don't want to hear that, but sometimes that's the only thing that drives us to the place where we say, God, if you don't do it, they're saying it can't be done. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. 22,000 people, when given the opportunity to acknowledge they were scared to death, nothing's going to happen to you, just go. They literally turned around and walked away. 22,000 people. Fear. One third of active people involved in church in January and February of 2020, according to Barna Research, which is the number one researcher of church trends and, and things, he says one third of people polled that were currently attending church two or three times a month 
in January, February of last year, when COVID hit in March and the world shut down, at some point in the first six months of COVID-19, call it whatever you want to call it, made a decision and said in this survey, I realized during this time I don't need to go to church anymore. So when they opened the churches again, one-third of those people said, I'm never going back. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Wow. Yeah, y'all getting quiet on me. There's a difference between concern and wisdom and fear. And those lines are very blurry right now. It's easy to mask a spirit of fear with the word concern. I'm not saying that you ain't concerned. And I'm not saying your word concern is not really concerned. But I'm going to tell you, not everybody that's saying I'm just doing what I'm doing out of concern is really doing it out of concern because the truth be known, you watch their life, they don't care about nobody but themselves. They ain't, they ain't cared about nobody else. They ain't taking care of nobody else. They got a spirit of fear. Well, y'all was shot me down a while ago. But the Lord said to Gideon, 10,000 still there. The people are still too many. Let me show you how God is concerned with you being concerned about other people and not yourself. See, when 22,000 people walk away, what they're saying is they're thinking to themselves, I, I'm, I need to go home to my family. I'm afraid that if I stay here, I'm going to be killed, and who's going to take care of my family? So in their mind, they justify by saying, I'm really not afraid, and I love you, Gideon, but I'm putting my family first. And we understand that. We respect that it's families first. But what they're really saying is, I don't really care ultimately what happens to you 10,000. And I don't really care what happens to you either, Gideon. I wish you the best. I got to go home and cut grass. I got a, I got a deck to build in the back. With my stimulus money. Hmm? Some of y'all too scared to go back to get a job because you're scared you might make less money than you're making now staying at home. Well, did he just say that? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. How many of the Bible said if a man doesn't work, let him not eat? He said a man that doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel and departed from the faith. Get up and get a job. I'm telling you, I'm 53. I love, I love being a pawpaw because you, you just throw that. I'm, I'm an old man. You just got to understand. Old men say things. The people are too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. The first one he says, no, it's got too many for me. But this final stage, I want to make it right for you. This one shall not go with you. The same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you will set them apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink and brings the water to his mouth with his hands, the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 out of 10,000. 300. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water like a dog. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men... Who lapped with their hands, I will save you and deliver you from the Midianites in your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to their own place. Come on, are y'all hearing me? So he said, everybody that got down on their hands and their knees and drank water like this. And I'm a nose. We've been thirsty sometimes when we got down at the creek and drank like that. 
Some of y'all, this new generation, drank from a creek. Y'all don't know nothing about playing in the woods, man. I'm talking about how, how many of days when you played in the woods and you walked the creek and you got thirsty, and even though it's the same water looked dirty up there, if it went over a rock and turned like it looked, it made you, you convince yourself that's clean there. It's the same water that was back there, but it's going over a rock. So you just got down there. <laughs> Y'all remember that place up on the side of I-65 people used to pull over and drink off the mountain? They shut it down. But I remember as a kid, me and my brother, like, stop, mama, stop, mama, I want to get a drink from the side of the road. It was literally just water coming off the side of the hill on the side of I-65. We'd stick our head out there. People be lined up on the side of the road to do it. See, when you're lapping like a dog, The only one you can see is your reflection in the water. You ain't worried about your neighbor. Somebody could sneak up behind you and stick a sword in your back or your neighbor's back, but you don't care because you ain't worried about nobody but yourself. So you're nourishing yourself. And you're spending time while you're nourishing yourself looking at yourself. Huh, okay. You do look pretty good today, I ain't going to lie. Yeah, uh-huh. You're the man. Oh, yeah. But see, when you drink water like this, how many of those you get, you might not get as much as this one got. But you ain't worried about getting the most. You're just trying to stay alive and watching out for your brothers and your sisters. Because if I'm bringing water up like this and I see somebody coming after Mac Daddy, I'm, Mac! I yell at Mac, look out! Huh? Y'all hear me? Jim, Jim, I started, I started to say God, but Jim come out. Maybe I'm supposed to give you a word. Jim, the Lord said don't drink water like a dog. He don't. What's this? He says, those 300 that cared enough to watch your back, watch what I see, what I do with those 300. You ever seen that movie, The 300? That's not the 300. This is the 300. Somebody needs to make a movie about this 300. Oh, it's 12.02 if you're taking medicine. Here we go. I'm almost through. I'm almost through. I'm almost through. It's because we dedicated 27 kids today. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm messing. I'm messing. I'm messing. I'm messing. It's just, I'm just trying to be funny. I'm serious. I love that. Now watch this. He said, here's the game plan. Get the 300. Send the rest of them home. And we'll go quick. He said, I want you to go tonight. Wait till it gets dark. I want you to go at night. And I want you to go around the camp in the Midianites. I want you to sneak. And here's what he said. Here's what he told him to do. I want you to go into the camp and I want you to listen. Listen to what they're saying. So they're all sitting around the campfire, relaxed in a relaxed state. They're not they're soldiers, but they're not in a war state. They're in a relaxed state. And when, when you get in a relaxed state, you, you feel more comfortable to talk about things than you do in battle. So the, the Bible says as they're sitting around the campfire, the 300 are sitting around listening. And one of the guys around the campfire speaks, speaks up. He's just near the Bible. He says, hey, guys, I want to tell you about a dream I had last night. I had a dream about a loaf of barley bread. Okay, whatever, man. Would you hungry? See, barley bread was the cheapest, the most economical. It was the bread of the poor. It was the, it was the least bread. You'd never find barley bread in the in the temple. You'd never find barley bread certainly in the king, in a king's house. It was the bread of the pauper, of the poor man. He said, "I saw this." loaf of barley bread rolling down the hill and as it's rolling down the hill it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then it overtook us and killed us all they're like what do you think that means and while Gideon's soldiers is listening one of the soldiers says I'll tell you what it means it means the sword of Gideon is against us they call 
man's name. See, you might not think you're great, but the devil knows you're great. See, I've said this for years. I'm thankful my name is known in heaven. Every Christian's name is known in heaven, but not every Christian's name is known in hell. I want to be known in hell. I want the devil to know who Larry Raglan is. I want when they, I want when the demons are sitting around the campfire relaxed and they think they can just talk about anything. I want one of them devils to speak up and say, well, I'll tell you one thing we need to stay away from. It's that Raglan boy. You need to stay away from that solid rock church because they're not bought into the lie. They're not playing that game. And when they heard that, the Bible said, strength came into those 300. Victory came into those 300. And they knew they'd already won the battle. He said, here's what you do. Take you a trumpet and put it in one hand. Get you a, a jar and fill it full of oil and a lot of fire in it. Put it in the other hand. And he said, when I tell, when I tell the man of God to do it, I want all of you to blow your shofar at the same time. They encamped around that in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, they said, God spoke to Gideon and said, blow your trumpet. Gideon, as soon as he did, 290 or 300 others beside him, they began to blow. All of a sudden, all the Midianites, 100,000 of them, woke up, started coming out of their tent, heard the battle cry. They started hearing that shofar. And all of a sudden, they started looking up in the middle of the darkness. And God said, then I want you to do this. Tell them to take that jar of fire and crash it to the ground. And they took it and they crashed it to the ground. And all of a sudden, they looked up and they heard the sound. 300 jars crashed at the same time. They was like, all the way around them. And then they looked up at the hills and the hills were on fire because the fire was now burning all around them. And the Bible said, the enemy began to panic. They drew their swords and they started killing each other and fighting each other thinking that the, their own people had turned on them and Israel 300 people never even used their swords every single Midianite was either killed or ran and fleed for their lives and as the Bible said as they were fleeing they were yelling Gideon and his army has overtaken us they have more than us. A hundred thousand people believed because of what they heard and what they saw that 300 was more than them. Can I close by telling you what I think happened? I think it was more than just the 300. I believe it was like that story in the Bible when the prophet's asleep in the tent and his assistant comes in and says the armies of Syria has surrounded us. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds that are, that are about to attack us. They're calling out for you. They're saying they've come to kill you. We're, it's over. And the prophet walked outside of the tent. Him and, one, and just a young boy looked up and there were soldiers all the way around him with swords drawn ready to kill him. He just simply looks at the Lord and says, Open his eyes. And the Bible said, God opened the spiritual eyes of that young boy. And he saw the hills were filled with tens of thousands of warring angels with their swords drawn. And the Bible said, the prophet said, son, there's more for us than they are against us. I got news for you. When they crashed the, the pots and they blew the trumpet and they began to yell and praise God, I believe God showed those Midianites thousands upon thousands upon thousands, more than 32,000. I'm telling you, there's more for us than they are against us. I'm telling you all to get up on your feet and praise God that there's more for us than they are against us. My God, there's more for us. Open their eyes, Lord. I'm asking you, God, open their eyes. Don't let them see what the world wants them to see. Show them the truth. The truth shall make you free. Remain standing. This is my prayer for you. God, open the eyes of the saints of God to see what is really going on. We are being distracted. We are being pulled in too many directions. God, let us see what you're doing. God, let us see what is really happening. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. I will trust in the name of the Lord. I will look to the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord.
to the lie that we are outnumbered. I hate to put it this way, but there are closet Christians afraid to share their faith, waiting on someone to step up and lead them, to give them a sense of boldness to come out and be strong in the Lord. Are you gripped? Are you moved? By a spirit of concern, are you gripped by a spirit of fear? If your heart is truly concerned, and compassion and love flow in it. But check yourself. You know, it wasn't long ago, it seems like a lot, it was, you know, 20 years ago, it was 20-something years ago when this started happening, and we had these horrible school shootings that were happening, and you know, the biggest one that set it into motion, it happened before, but the one that put it on the map was Columbine. You remember Columbine? Those two boys, demonically possessed, walked through that school and shot and killed so many students. Many that survived have said that almost everyone they went up to before they shot them, not, not the ones from a distance when they were just shooting everybody in the room, but the ones they would shoot up, go up and shoot point blank. Many have said every single time that they would do it, they would ask them, do you believe in God? If you say no, I'll let you live. If you say yes, you're dying today. And it's nothing, not, um, this is no condemnation against any kid, but many of the kids begin to scream out, I do not believe in God. I do not believe in God. It's fake. It's not real. It's not real. Some of them were still killed, but many of them were not. Then they came to this one girl. Her name was Cassie Bernal. You remember her? She became a legend. In the church, her father is now a preacher of the gospel that preaches all over the world. Put that double barrel shotgun, that pump shotgun to her head. And said, deny God and you'll live. And she got up out of that seat of that cafeteria and she stood up and she raised her hands and she said, I will never deny you, God. I believe in Jesus Christ. And those were her last words. She left this world and went into eternity. But let me tell you something. I hope, I hope I speak. That don't happen to nobody. Let me tell you something. Tens of thousands of people have been saved and born again because of the faith of a teenage girl. What's going to happen when, you get the, when you've been given the option to just go home and you don't have to go to battle? Or are you going to battle? I'm not talking about against flesh. I'm not talking about against people, storming buildings, nothing like that. We don't wrestle against flesh. This is a spiritual battle I'm talking about. You hear me? If not you, who? If not us, who? If not now, when? There's no time to wait. The kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Spiritually, we storm the gates of hell. You want you to storm a gate? Storm the gates of hell fight and drink and receive but watch out for your brother watch out for your sister because we need each other amen if you're here today and you say God I, I need you in my life I need to choose you as my savior or I need to rededicate my life to God we're a few minutes over when it comes to kingdom, people's eternities are in the balance. Let's not worry about a few minutes over. If there's anybody here that says, I need to give my life to God or I need to rededicate my relationship to God, I want you to come to these altars right now. Come on. Come on. I see people coming. Thank God. Come on. Just stand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. My God. My God. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Come on, come on, come on. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? They're still coming. Anybody else? Church, would you stretch your hands towards these young men, men and women, young ladies? Fathers, I pray for them. I'm going to lead them in a prayer. But God, I just pray right now, Lord, you'd settle their mind.
that there not be any distractions. For this moment, problems are still going to be there. Things are still going to be in our life. But for this moment, God, let them be engulfed by the peace of the Holy Spirit so their minds are clear for the declaration that they're about to make. I declare that at the end of this prayer and at the end of this service, when they walk out of this place, they will walk out differently than they came. We thank you for this. Now, church, I want you to help these up here pray. Let's say it out loud. And those that are up here, you say this from your, from your inner being. You say this as if, it, if your life and your eternity depends on it because it does. Church, all together, let's say it. Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we come to you now confessing you as Lord and Savior over my life. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of every sin. Wash me clean of my past, my present, and free me from fear of my future. I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I am bold. I am strong. I am a soldier for God. Here I am, Lord. Whatever you want from me. I am ready. I am here. Use me in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a praise. I want to ask some of these leaders in the church to step up. Step up and shake their hand. Tell them you're proud of them. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Just tell them you're proud of them. Tell them your name. Tell them your name. Tell them your name. Tell them your name. Find out their name. Come on. We need some people on this side. Come on. Come on, young folks. Come on. Come on. Come on. You know them. Come on. Come on. Come on. Welcome them to the family of God. Come on. Come on. Come on. Listen. Come on. Tell them how proud you are of them. Tell them how proud you are of them. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.